0: Hello and welcome to episode 168 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Joining me on today's episode is the awesome actor, AJ Bowen. You'll know him for films such as I Trap the Devil, the absolute unbelievable horror, You're Next, which I believe is one of the most underrated horrors out there, the absolute classic, and I mean this, The Guest. One of my favourite films in the last 10 years. An unbelievable film. And we get to sit down today and talk all about his brand new film, Night Drive. The interview is fantastic and as always we will get to it in just a couple of minutes time. And I can say this now, AJ Bowen has one of the best voices in the world for podcasting. He puts me to shame. But as always, let's use the start of this episode to touch base and talk about the last episode. I was joined by the amazing Tim Blake Nelson. An absolute icon and one of the best actors out there. As always, the response was amazing and thank you so much to everyone that tuned in. And honestly, it means the absolute world. But today is about AJ Bowen and I can't wait to share this interview with you. I think the best thing to do right now is to get straight to it. So here's me and AJ talking all things film. So AJ, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Thanks for having me aj what i wanted to do today for anyone that's tuning in for maybe the first time and discovering your work is where was it or when was it that you discovered you had this love for film was it at a very young age maybe watching films with the family or was it later on in life
1: it was definitely early um it was a huge part of my childhood and it was something that um growing up like in the deep south of the united states um into like a military family a pretty conservative family it didn't ever seem like something that i was gonna be able to do as a job i didn't think that that was you know what people did uh, um, and specifically when it comes to like horror um i mention it because i think that there's a tendency sometimes with people that act <clears throat> in horror films they didn't necessarily grow up on them they didn't necessarily love them i mean they love making movies and um but for me i was always fascinated by horror and um it was sort of a dream you know like i wasn't allowed to watch a lot of it so i'd have to sneak it in a, at my best friend's house still my best friend but his parents were a bit more lax and so most of the um initial classics that I saw were sleeping over at his place because I knew at like the age of 10 that his mother would let us watch Halloween. And that same guy, um, I was, I think, nine years old and we went to a scout camp. Um, I grew up in Georgia and uh, we went to a scout camp and it was a place called Camp Daniel Morgan. And when we were there, I discovered that they had just wrapped filming a horror movie there. And there were still some set pieces and whatnot there. And that movie was Friday the 13th, part six was Jason lives. Um, So from that moment, I was just like, yeah, this is this is for sure what I want to be doing with
0: my life. And you mentioned then, obviously, there's a point when you were saying stuff you didn't know that that could become a reality. It was a bit more of a dream and, you know, with the family background and stuff. At what point was it that you thought, actually, this could be something that materializes into actually maybe a career? Was there a point when you thought to yourself there were certain auditions or certain parts of your life that you thought, actually, this could become reality?
1: Well, it's funny. Around the same time, as a kid, I thought I wanted to be an astronaut, having absolutely no awareness of (laughs) the degree of proficiency required in like math and science. Um, I just thought, oh, I want to go to space. And um, I'm about to be 44. So at the the age that I'm at, I was I was at home watching TV when the Challenger took off and when it and when it exploded and I instantly um, didn't really want to be an astronaut anymore. <laughs> but later on that year, um, a movie came out that my parents took me to called Space Camp. And um, in it, if you haven't seen it, it's it's about kids going to space camp and inadvertently ending up on the shuttle and it takes off. So they end up in space. And it was this, It's. it sounds like I'm making a joke, but it was the first awareness at like the age of nine that I could pretend to do some of the things that I wanted to do yeah. um, and not actually do them. And then I could do a lot of different things. So that was the first time that it occurred to me that like, oh, there's people that tell stories. Um, and then I ended up in a in a classical music Tract where I grew up that um, the programs there were incredibly strong. And so for a while, I thought I was going to be um, like a studio musician. I was a tuba player. And when I graduated high school, the Olympics came through Atlanta. And so that summer I, I was in I was the tubist for the Atlanta Symphony Youth Orchestra and I was the sub tubist for the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra. And so I got to record with Michael Kamen and, and I already had this fascination with film. It just seemed like an unattainable dream. Yeah. And so I got to university to study um, performance and I realized pretty quickly that it wasn't something that I wanted to do. And I realized it wasn't something I was good, but I probably wasn't good enough to get one of like three jobs that opens up every decade. Yeah. And I'd always wanted to act. And I had some friends studying in conservatories And so I decided to just kind of like, okay, well, I'm gonna try this out and see. And the friends that I made in college, I ended up at the University of Georgia and the friends that I went to college with, um, we all started making our own shorts. We made a feature and we all, um, at the time, I knew that my emphasis was acting, but I've always been interested. I've always been a writer and I've always done every job that you can have on a film set. And we all did that together. So it was sort of like a, a punk rock DIY. Like we all, if I'm not on camera, I'm hauling cable or running a boom. And we all went away after we graduated and started trying to do that ourselves. So I went to New York, some people went to LA. And we all, after we were already kind of working, we got back together to make a no budget movie. None of us were in the union yet and we made a movie in 10 days for fifty thousand dollars and just kind of sent it off um to the sundance film festival um because that's what you do and it got in and that movie did really well there and there was a movie called the signal and that's sort of what got everything going for us because we were touring when you have a movie and it got distribution at Sundance, but we still were on a track. We went to South by, went to several different festivals and traveling with that movie, I started meeting other filmmakers that also were sort of in the indie world that were used to doing things, figuring out, okay, well, I have $10. Yeah. Let's make a movie for that. And everybody knew how to do various jobs, so it made it possible. And through that process, I met and worked with people like ty west adam wingard and we just sort of started finding each other um and then separately those guys careers started building and we kind of we'd work on everybody's like when we did your next obviously like half the cast were you know specifically mostly filmmakers behind camera and you know like with me i have a background in improv comedy and so it's sort of that dirty word, mumblecore, mumblegore, whatever the hell that means. Um, <laughs> it just meant that we would get together and, and tell a story and be prepared to sort of go off script. And we kind of did that for a while. But um, it became tougher once some of the filmmakers like Adam started making, you know, Godzilla versus King Kong. It made it a little trickier to go back and make our $60,000 movies. Um, but that's sort of and then I looked up one day and I was in my mid 40s. And I was like, "Oh, I guess this is what I did."
0: <laughs> it's quick, it's crazy how quick it goes, isn't it? You blink and you're suddenly there. And you've been involved in some great horrors. I mean, I like a low budget film that basically becomes a cult film. That's some of my favorites. So when, when you mentioned your next, I thought that was an absolutely incredible film. But also the Hatchet films, I absolutely love them. There's something about them that's about a beer and pizza sit down on a saturday night and they'll just entertain you and over those few years you had the house of the dead a horrible way to die hatchet to your neck so some of the best sort of cult films that i still revisit all the time now
1: thank you and it's a funny um someone asked me because sometimes it can seem like um uh, some of the things that get attributed or spoken about seem like can seem like they're coming from the filmmakers but they're just not so i got this sort of reputation for being in kind of high art um i hate the term but like elevated horror atmospheric elevated that sounds like really pretentious super important and i was already making those movies and the reason i was making them was because they were what was available um and also i wanted to work with those people and i I do have that sensibility i love horror from the 70s and at the same time i also really love slasher movies from the 80s i mean friday the 13th is my favorite franchise and Jason Lives is like top five movie all time and like we're including like Citizen Kane in that list for me like it's still up there and so when um when Adam Green called me and asked me um some a couple of a couple of my friends were like what are you doing doing a hatchet movie and I was like are you kidding Kane Hodder's gonna kill me in a movie and I get to I get to work with Candyman and I get to work with Danny Harris who is the same age as me so when I was fascinated with horror and really wishing I could do it. I saw her when I was 11 years old in Halloween 4. So all of that, I was just like, it's a no brainer. Like, why yeah. wouldn't I go and, and get my head chopped off by Kane? It's just like a dream come true.
0: Yeah, I'm jealous. Just when you say it out loud, I'm like, that is the most fun you'll probably have. I don't think you'll ever top that now.
1: No, no, it was amazing. And then we all took a charted flight um, to New Orleans for a couple of days. So that was just a trip. It was wild to have like R.A. who played Leatherface, wow. to have us all walking down Bourbon Street in New Orleans. Um, it was a trip. One of those moments where you have to pinch yourself and say, is this
0: really happening? If you could tell yeah. yourself when you were like 12 years old that you'd be doing this.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And you are involved in one of my favourite films of the last 20 years, The Guest. I think that holds up now as absolute classic. I think I'm so excited that it's being re-released again in a special edition here and people are going to start to see this film because for me it's like... It feels like a John Carpenter film with the soundtrack, but it's got all the elements of the old classics. And for me it came from nowhere. People now absolutely love it and are now discovering it. But it must have been incredible to be part of that and playing the part of Austin.
1: Well, what was funny about it is that... Um the the former two movies that those guys made i i worked on and i was like the lead in a horrible way to die which was so wildly different yeah. than your next you know and part of part of why those were so different is that we went to the toronto film festival with a horrible way to die which is just i love it it's one of my favorite movies that i've worked on um but it's grim um yeah. not not the sort of thing you know you're talking about like pizza and beer cinema it's definitely not that it's, uh, it's more like it gets done and people go out it's more like quiet introspection depressed cinema <laughs> um yeah. and we saw the response when we were at toronto that insidious was getting and it it occurred to those guys they were like well what if we made a movie that when people got done with it there was a catharsis that was there they were like they thought it was fun more like a roller coaster so that's what happened uh, that's one of the driving forces behind making your next and with both of those movies um the writer, Simon, the first one, we kind of threw the dialogue out the window and uh, because Amy and Joe and I were so used to being writers and and doing improv, um, we, we took the, the structure and then we just started playing around with it. And it was really experimental. And with Your Next, there was the, the character that I played in Your Next, he sort of pieces out like halfway through the movie. And I was reading the script and I was like, wait, where did he go? Like, I thought I was like the male lead. Where, where did this guy go? And then I saw you know, at the end of the movie, oh, suddenly there's an like eight, nine page monologue where this character explains the entire film, what was going on for the audience. And um, when we shot that one, I went to Simon and I was like, hey, so I know I didn't really say anything that was written in A Horrible Way to Die. And I wanna do this justice and do this exactly um, as written and I wanna add a few things to this monologue to really sell the the tone and we did that and and it went really well for us and so when the guest was happening um i think they had shot i think they had gotten through almost entire principal photography yeah and they had i think what happened with them with that one was they were like okay well there's this b plot with this company and we need some sort of explanation oh, yeah, AJ will come in and he'll just he can explain to me. <laughs> he can explain things for the audience on a walk and talk. And so they called me and um and we're like, hey, you, you want to come in? We're doing we're doing pickups to like sort of structure the film. And because uh, they knew that I would just come in and and drop a, a monologue of explanation. And so that's what ended up happening. And it was crazy because when we did that one, um, I had just marathoned um, tv show fringe and so lance reddick was on my mind and i had no idea that i was going to be doing exclusively discussing with lance reddick and so when i showed up on set and i saw him i I almost shit myself and um (laughs) and and i boned the first take uh with that because it's a walk and talk and i'm I'm supposed to be explaining to him what's going on and he's awesome he's wonderful and we're doing it and we get done and and it's a beat where he flips around to say something to me and and I realized that um, I was completely fanboying out and in the take. And I was just kind of staring at him like, oh, my God, it's Lance Reddick. He's so handsome. He's so charming. And um, and it caused him to be like, what the hell is this guy looking at me like this? Look boy? away, kid. Yeah, yeah. it's like, what are you doing? And uh, it boned the take. So we had to do it again. I was like, I'm so sorry, Lance. I was just, I, just I, I texted my wife right before this take and told her that I was on screen with you and 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 it's crazy and uh, and he just started laughing and we did it again but yeah it's it's one of those ones that i did i i constantly forget that i'm even in that one because i'm a fan of the filmmakers work that i've yeah. gotten to work with right and so you know like the thing that bummed me out about house of the devil was that i was in it yeah. because i love that movie so much but when i see myself show up it takes me out of it because to me that's one of those ultimate like pizza and beer movies yeah and, and that's how i watched it uh, the first time when they sent me the disc before it came out. Um, and same with those guys, like with the guest, I went, I was at South by Southwest with them, uh, for another movie. And I happened to be in that one. So I showed up and, and I was so excited to watch what they were doing. There were some like obvious nods for those of us that love genre, like the opening of that is straight up Halloween four to me. That sort of like sparse, um, desolate sort of fall thing, um, was very similar. Um, to some movies that i love especially like return of michael myers and so i was happy watching it and then all of a sudden my dumbass face showed up and it took me completely out of it again so i keep forgetting because I, that was like one day i showed up to yeah. down la and and did a quick walk and talk with lance reddick and then like a year later i was like oh shit, yeah i'm in that for a second and nobody re- nobody recognized it either because they got used to seeing me in like a beard or yeah. having a weight on me so all of a sudden this sort of thinner guy in glasses in a suit that's not choking people out is just walking down the hallway with lance reddick and so they're like wait was that was he in that do you try and choose
0: not to watch your work back then because i have a various range of guests and a lot of the big actors i speak to never will watch their work back or they lie and tell me they don't but
1: i think they're lying yeah do you try and they're lying yeah i do um because I love watching movies. And also, you know, to be honest, you know, like I, a blue collar kid growing up for me, it's like a dream come true. So I would be lying, you know, like I, I have a seven year old and she's seen trailers for a lot, not like Hatchet, but she's seen trailers for a lot of the movies that I'm in. And to me, that's a trip, you know, it's just like, why wouldn't, why wouldn't I watch it? Um, because I got to do something that a lot of people dream about doing and don't get to. So for me, I mean, the where things are where I would think someone's telling the truth is if they say they don't necessarily read what people are saying online. Yeah. Um, back when IMDB had message boards, that was the, a braver person than myself. I looked at it like twice and was like, no, nah, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need that. I don't need that in my life. You but like, no, people. I do, I do watch. Um I and especially like when you're traveling, like there's movies I haven't watched in years. Um just because I saw them so many times, and also as someone who's also a producer, um, whether or not I was producing those movies, um, I'm friends with those guys. So when they're in the edit, they they'll ask me to watch stuff and give my opinion about structure, like what what does this need, what what can we lose. So for something you know like the signal, I probably watched 150 times before it came out, and I don't want to ever see that movie again. And <laughs> you know horrible way to die I watched a lot um yeah. I haven't I haven't watched your next in years um because it just reaches a saturation point where it's like yeah I got it I don't need to I I, I don't need to watch the burning every year now no. because I've seen it so many times that's fair and at the moment we're obviously
0: promoting night drive uh you play the part of Russell um obviously has won the lead roles in that how did that opportunity come about for you
1: so those guys are I guess they're for us, we sort of found each other and we're collaborators and we'd worked on a movie called Dead Night before. And um, Brad, the director of Dead uh, Night, co-directed and was a cinematographer for Night Drive. And um, we all got together because Brad had produced a movie for our mutual friend, Don Coscarelli, called John Dies at the End. And so Don called me. And said that um, this guy, Brad, was directing a movie and could we all get together and and talk about it and talk about working on it? And so Brad and I met and um, we all had lunch and immediately we're like, okay, we share the same interests. We're like highbrow and lowbrow stuff. And we got into deep discussions about, again, like the opening of Halloween Four, the aesthetic of of different types of things, especially like sort of the overlooked artistic merit of certain 80s sort of slasher genre stuff the at least from the technical um from the technical end and megan uh the writer co-producer co-director of night drive was the editor of dead night and she was on set so it was a great blessing to have an editor on set because you can figure out faster like how to cut in camera what what do we need uh she ends up being sort of like a script supervisor in that regard so we wanted to get together and and make something sort of on our own terms. When you're seeking funding from somebody else, it can be sort of a corporate experience. And you're also sort of waiting to have permission to make a movie. And that's counterintuitive to the creative process. And um, they do a ton of big work for Marvel and Disney. And um, Brad was a showrunner on a gallery on the, the making of the Mandalorian thing oh, that's wow. on Disney Plus. He's the showrunner. For at least one of those seasons. And and same with Megan. They they do all of that stuff, like assembled, like all of the she ran the um, she ran the Loki behind the scenes thing. So they wanted to get out of that and sort of be able to not have a boss. And Megan wrote it specifically for myself and Sophie to work on together because Megan knew that my background, which doesn't get utilized a lot, is comedy and and improv and sophie and i had played uh father and daughter on dead night she played my daughter on dead night and so megan um who actually doesn't own a car and doesn't drive she takes ubers and lifts all the time in los angeles and so for her that sort of was the beginning of what night drive was because she had so many crazy trips with these random drivers and was like well what if they were the sane one and what if the rider was the person who was insane and so we talked about it and we got together so we had we had advantages that other uh low budget or micro budget productions don't and that's that you know we know the crew for avengers endgame and so when they're not shooting stuff you know like in night drive we had a steadicam operator that shot steadicam for avengers endgame wow. and it, so we got that for free on as a friendship favor so what we wanted to do was okay well yeah anybody can make a micro but how can we make it look like a a really polished movie, you know, like uh, if you saw it, you know, like usually we spend a lot of time inside the car on that one. And a lot of times in modern cinema, there's so little room. So what ends up happening is usually the person on camera is just sort of whipping back and forth, sort of shaky cam, handheld. And we really wanted to sort of lock off, um, sort of still make it look like a really polished, um, visuals first piece of cinema, because that's really important to us. Otherwise it's a play. Yeah. and we we care a lot about the visual element especially wanting to make a movie in los angeles that feels like we're los angeles is a character because we all live here um so that's sort of how we all got together and we and we kept experimenting with with rigs on the camera because there's a ton of practical driving um most of it's practical um in night drive so that means that there's a camera on the hood of the car while i'm driving it down the highway trying to act and find light and you know while also not driving into oncoming traffic it's it's a, it's an interesting skill set but that's how we got that's how we we decided to get together and make a movie and then because of the time that it took with us experimenting with how to shoot some of the things we wanted to do we got right around to christmas and then i was like well you guys know that like christmas horror is my favorite type of of horror and i love christmas movies and like what if what if this is a christmas film and because there's so much free you know art department when you do that yeah so um so yeah we i was like what about shane black and so we we talked about it and sort of like nudged things in the direction to make it a christmas movie
0: amazing um aj my final question for you today and i am going to put you on the spot is that i ask every guest that comes on the podcast to choose the outro piece of music it can be from any band any film any score but i'm not going to give you any longer than just a minute to work it out so As the episode is all edited and put out there, every guest that comes on gets to choose that one piece of music. I know it's not going to be easy because you're such a fan of all these films. There's probably films on a soundtrack or films that you've used yourself and pieces of music. But is there a song that instantly comes to your heart when I ask you what's your favourite song that would be perfect for your episode today?
1: Oh man, this is terrible. Because I was a professional musician before I was a filmmaker. Um, <laughs> do you mean? Do you mean music from the movies?
0: No, any song that... in the whole world that you want. It's never good for a musician to have to try and decide, but it can
1: be okay. the music by the Beatles. It could be anyone you want, but a song that you love. Okay, uh, uh just you put me on the spot. I was going to say something by the Kinks, um, but instead I'm going to say uh, Brian Eno, "Needle in the Camel's Eye." incredible
0: brilliant it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on i know you've got to go for your next interview so thanks so much
1: hey great talking
0: with you man so there it is there's my interview with me and aj and as i said at the start of today's interview his voice is made for podcasting My God, I absolutely adore it. And hey, he might be listening back right now and think, do you know what? He's got a point and he might start his own podcast. But in the meantime, if you want to come back, AJ, please do, because I feel like we've got so much more to talk about and it was an absolute pleasure to have you on today's episode. AJ was talking and discussing all about his brand new film, Night Drive. Please go and check it out. It's out now and I promise you'll love it. I've been lucky enough to see it and I adore it. And I can't wait to see the response on social media to what people think to it. If you're new to Mark and me, I just want to say now that all my episodes are free and they'll always remain free. You can listen to them on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podomatic and all the streaming channels that I can host them on. I'm not ever going to charge for the podcast and they're all available now. There's over 168 interviews waiting for you right now and I truly believe I have a guest for everyone. If you've really enjoyed today's episode, please share it. I say it on every episode because it's crucial to getting the name out there. It costs nothing to do and is literally the touch of a button. You can share it on your Facebook, your Instagram or your Twitter. And I see everyone doing this and I really do appreciate it. So thanks for everyone that does that and keep on doing it because it really does bring a whole new audience to the podcast. And if you really want to support the podcast, I do have a Patreon. This is something that means a lot to me personally. It means from you guys supporting me at home and saying thank you for the podcast for maybe just a pound a month or a little more if you want, you can win some incredible prizes and support me in doing what I do. Thanks to my amazing sponsors of the podcast, Last Exit to Nowhere t-shirts and Vice Press, you can go out there and win some incredible t-shirts and posters each and every week for supporting me on the podcast things aren't slowing down and as October was one of my busiest months and most successful months, I can't wait to go into November and bring you even more. I want to say a massive thank you to everyone that supported me and I'll be back in only a few days time with a brand new episode. So until then, please look after yourself, take care and I'll speak to you all soon.